there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but that tunnel is very long and you should not let down your guard because that time will be June, July, August. Wouldn't that be terrible if you let down your guard, everybody got sick and somebody died. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast on COVID-19. I'm Emily Donahue. It has been a long and hard slog to get through 2020, but it's not over yet. In this podcast, Rain founder David Lawrence talks to Dr. Bill Lang and Dr. Fred Southwick about some questions people are asking about how and where they can get a vaccine, as well as why it's important to stay vigilant over the holidays. Let's listen in. Fred and Bill, um, thank you for taking some time. What we want to do in a, a very short fashion to give people some additional information that could be helpful in advance of the holidays. And I know within your respective networks, a variety of questions have come up. And so let me just turn it over to you. Bill, you want to kick it off? Sure. As we've been uh, counseling our various uh, patients, members about the, the vaccine, a couple of questions have come up in addition to the most important one that we get is, well, when can I get the vaccine? And I explained to them, as we discussed last week, that the, there's a national level prioritization recommendation, but really you have to look to the individual states. And it's first going to be focused on the uh, nursing homes, nursing home staff, and then healthcare workers. But then after that, there's a little bit of divergence between the states. Clearly, essential industries, and that has to be defined by the state, and clearly uh, older adults that have other medical issues, they're going to be high in the priority. But the specifics of that is going to depend on the state. The other question that I am continually asked is, well, what about pregnant women? What about breastfeeding women? Obviously, with such a new vaccine, we don't have any hard data. But the nature of this vaccine is that for breastfeeding, it should not make a difference at all. And the CDC recommendation, they say, of course, talk to your healthcare provider, who isn't going to know anything more than the CDC is saying. But CDC says it should be fine. As far as pregnancy goes, the CDC is also saying pregnant women may be vaccinated. Um, however, there are ongoing studies looking at toxicity just to be sure. So it may be that pregnant women want to wait uh, at least for another couple of weeks until some of the, these more specific studies are released. But there should not be anything about this vaccine that would affect a developing fetus. Still, with anything pregnancy related, everybody likes to be as sure as they can. And it would be nice to see the, um, uh, the release on, this, on the toxicity studies. That's great, Bill. And, and implicit in your analysis here is that women who are pregnant uh, or who are nursing uh, should be taking extra precautions. Exactly. Fred. Yes. The, uh, the other big question that comes up is, if you had COVID-19, you, you were documented to have it, should you get the vaccine? And the, the stand of the CDC, which I do agree with, is that these natural infections, we don't know the degree of immune response that's uh, developed as a consequence of that infection. And we, we do know that mild infections, the levels of antibodies are relatively low and do seem to re decrease relatively rapidly. And there was early on a concern that perhaps the vaccines wouldn't give you long-standing immunity. I think at this point, we're finding that the 
and in people that have more severe infections that the antibody levels are staying up for a prolonged period of time. But again, not to the levels that the vaccine generates. And therefore, uh, the consensus is that even if you had the infection, you should, when your time comes, you should get the vaccine. There's been some um, questions about what tests are most uh, accurate, what tests should people be taking. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? The public is very confused. In fact, I gave two talks yesterday to two community groups about this very, this very problem. Um, there are really three tests that are available at this point. The one that we started with is the RT-PCR. That's the molecular test. And that is uh, very sensitive. Uh, the big problem that we get into with that test is after your infection, your live infection, the live virus is gone from your system, you can have persistently positive molecular tests because of residual RNA that's left in your body and in your saliva. So you can look as though you're infected for weeks and weeks when in reality you're not. Uh, so that is, uh, I like to use that test when I'm trying to make the diagnosis and I'm going to consider treatment for an individual. The second uh, group of tests which came out second was the antibody test. And this is a blood test. Now, the other is a saliva or a nasopharyngeal swab. The antibody test, you draw blood and you check with the immunoglobulins directed against the virus. And there's IgM and IgG. Now, we know that it takes 14 days from the time that you become infected for the IgG and IgM to start to rise to significant levels. And then the IgM will stay elevated for about two months, and the IgG could stay elevated for years. So what the IgG level tells you is that sometime in the past, you have been infected by the virus. So it is not helpful for making the diagnosis. That is used for by epidemiologists to determine the prevalence in an area. In other words, how many people in the last six months have become infected with COVID-19? a measurement of the IgG anti-SARS-CoV-2 uh, IgG uh, would give you that answer. And I understand that some test sites uh, have cropped up that are testing for the immunoglobulins through an ELISA, and that is uh, not worth the money you pay for it because it will not help you to know if you've got the infection and it's in the first two weeks, the ELISA could be negative and you could be very actively infected. And if you had it way back, you're going to get that test and you think, oh, I have infection now again, when in reality you don't. That's just a marker of your past infection. And the third test is the antigen test. The antigen by antigen, that means the proteins on the surface of the virus. And most of the antigen tests are directed against the spike protein, that outer protein that binds the host cells. And uh, that test um, is, well, the beauty of that test, and I think it is the best for screening because it only takes 15 minutes. So it's a point of care test. Take it right there. So far, it's available only as a nasopharyngeal swab. And generally what they do is they take that swab, put it in a little buffer, a small amount of buffer, and then that buffer is put on to a, a little small plate that actually diffuses across, 
and then their antibodies against the spike protein and the and little indicators. And when the virus clusters, there's a dye that shows up and it gives you a, a usually a, a color or a dark band. It's identical principles to a home pregnancy test. Fred, what I've been telling my patients is for people who have a screening program, like some place that has a very high reliability operation that they need to keep going, and so they are doing periodic screening, I'm saying that the, the antigen is good for that. But where I, I have a little bit more concern with is um, when you're doing a, a one each, like many people are trying to do testing so that they can have Christmas dinner together. Right. The 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 false negative rate is a little bit higher um, with these. So I'm a little bit more concerned with that. Yes, it does reduce risk. So it, it is it is not that it is not helpful, but if you have the option of, to, of doing an antigen or a PCR for a single screening, I would, I would most definitely do the PCR. Uh, the other thing that I'm finding very interesting about this testing program is that there are a lot of uh, physicians out there who don't understand all of this. And they are advertising that come to see me and I'll do the rapid test. And then they're doing rapid antibody tests. And so it's buyer beware. Even if you're talking to a physician about it, they don't completely understand the, the difference of the you know, am I infected versus was I infected, which are two very different questions. No, I agree with you. One one other thing is sometimes if you have to go to some location, they may demand a test and you have a certificate for that test. Most of the time that will be a PCR and it has to be a nasopharyngeal. They won't necessarily accept saliva, I understand, in some for some of these certificates. No, that's exactly right. And we're doing that. We're we're managing a lot of travel. And you really need to look at the very specific place that you're going to, because some just will take any PCR. Others are specific to to uh, swabs. The most difficult right now is Hawaii, which only has which has a list of about 15 labs in the country that they'll accept only those labs. So you've got to really know where you're going to. So in uh, just the minute or two we have left, we're approaching the holiday season your best perspectives here in terms of the widespread availability of the vaccines and the rollout, any perspectives you can share with the audience? Well, one, one thing that a lot of physicians have been talking about is, yes, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. When over 70 to 75% of our population is vaccinated, the epidemic, the pandemic will go away. But that tunnel is very long. And you should not let down your guard because that time will be estimated to be June, July, August of this year. Meanwhile, you could still contract the infection. And wouldn't that be terrible if you let down your guard or a family member let down your their guard? You had a large family gathering and everybody got sick and somebody died. When the when there is a, a, actually a, a, and soon to be an end to this epi, epidemic. So... I think it's really important to keep your guard up. Fred, a great point, at least in New York and I think other jurisdictions, what the data is showing is that the recent spike has been caused uh, because of family and social events around the Thanksgiving holiday. Bill, any uh, last words of wisdom for the audience as we approach um, yes, the holidays? Yes, so right on, just, just echoing that point, I don't think we can say anything more strong than that, is that the, what the Thanksgiving holiday pretty much proved was that getting together groups, especially family groups, because that's what Thanksgiving is all about, is really one of the big drivers for this for this epidemic. 
when you compare the United States to Europe over the exact same period of time, both US and Europe turned down and the curves are actually pointing downward. We had Thanksgiving, they did not have Thanksgiving. Their curve kept going down, our curve turned back up. So it was a pretty good indicator that Thanksgiving had a, had a major impact on the, the rate of disease. So people really do need to uh, continue to pay attention to your mitigation measures. And, and then on the timeline, I'm a little more optimistic. I think we have a good chance of reaching that 70%, um, 75% level probably before early summer. But, you know, it remains to be seen. This is going to be a complexity. It's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be the supply availability. It's going to be the distribution capability that, because we need to, in order to get 70% of the population, we're going to need to give about 400, 400 plus million vaccinations. That's a lot of vaccinations. All right. So, we already talked about the adoption by um, by people that they're willing to take this. And we're seeing people step forward publicly to take the vaccination in order to encourage others. Uh, last editorial point, which I will just add so no one's misled. It wasn't simply uh, people getting together for Thanksgiving that caused the increase. But obviously people were traveling from various places to get together as witnessed by the data of airline travel. So both of you, uh, thank you for the continued insights. Um, hopefully you'll have a safe and healthy holiday season. And if something comes up, uh, I appreciate your remaining available so we can get the word out to people. Thank you. Thanks, David. David. Take care. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. You can get critical information on the COVID-19 vaccine direct to your inbox. Track key virus developments with news, analysis, and commentary to help you formulate your own policies, procedures, and plans. Sign up at RAINnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.